0: So, as I say, we're looking at 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. It will come up on the screen behind me. I sometimes wonder when we, we are reading it whether I should move, Is my big ball in the way. Is it anyone? That's fine. We're all, let's read together. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and open wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to my children. Open wide your hearts also. Amen. I titled it this morning, uh, Open Up Your Heart as I wrote that I was conscious it sounds very much like an 80s pop song (laughs) but it's not I can assure you it's much more than that but this is Paul's closing appeal at the end of this passage that they would open up their hearts to him but in as much as they're willing to open up their hearts to him it's ultimately a reflection of their affections towards God Because Jesus said, didn't he, in John 13 verse 20, very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. So in a sense the appeal to all of us this morning is the same right at the outset. Open wide your hearts to God. And in the process, how, how do we how do we do that? How do we open our hearts? Well, those three things I picked out from this passage. And actually, I, I, I've made it a little helpful um, mnemonic. Are you ready for this? <laughs> don't give up. Don't give in. Live like Jesus in everything. That's good, that, isn't it? <laughs> Hopefully, that'll help it stick in the mind, yeah? <laughs> anyway, first of all, don't give up. Uh, you know, I... Deviating a little bit, but I'm actually talking about deviation. This whole section that we've largely been in for most of our study, from chapter 2 up until the beginning of chapter 7, is part of this, the body of this letter and that many scholars have questioned as to, was this actually a separate letter that's been inserted into the body of what's now become Second Corinthians? It's a possibility. And it's suggested because there seemed to be a almost a shift from the end of chapter 1, well, towards the end of chapter 2, where it seems to be a different tone, a different theme coming to the fore. And some people say, oh, well, from, chapter, from verse 14 chapter 2 up right up to verse 7, uh, uh, chapter 7, I think Paul. this is one of Paul's other letters come in, because it just feels different, and he's talking about something different. But actually, it's helpful to remember that Paul was actually a man of his times. It was common practice in that day and time when people wrote letters, particularly when they were um, expounding or uh, exhorting people to something. It was just natural that people would deviate in their letters. They would be on a point, but then it seemed as if they would seemingly go off on a tangent to begin talking about something else. That doesn't seem to fit in with the normal rules of how we would compose a letter or write something, but apparently that's just what they did. Back then. So, uh, uh, the reason I'm saying this to you is just to encourage you that, you know, regardless of how the 2nd Corinthians has been composed, it's still the Word of God in its entirety, and it's got something for us to say. And even if this was a deviation by Paul, I think it's a good one. <laughs> it's almost like when you're going on a path and you, you, you take a little detail just to look at something or explore something, and then you find your way back onto the main path again. Well, if that's what Paul is doing, uh, I think it's going to be a really helpful one this morning. So with that, I want to look at the. what is Paul saying. I want to examine what's the purpose of this appeal that Paul has put into the body of this letter. You know, we are separated by quite a few years, aren't we, from the Corinthians. <laughs> quite a few years have passed, quite a few weeks have passed since when this letter was first composed. But the word of God is everlasting, isn't it? It doesn't change. And just as it spoke to them then, it's speaking to us in here and now. So I want to say to you this morning, as Paul was saying to them right from the outset, don't give up. Don't give up. He does actually write, don't give up. But he's more or less saying it in in verses 1 to 2 where he says, we urge you. And then he goes on to quote from Isaiah he says, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. In the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I'll tell you now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Paul, what he's doing here, he's emphasizing that what has been revealed to them is of such an amazing, gracious act of God they mustn't squander it. They mustn't treat it like a meagre thing that's happening in their midst. This isn't a fad, it's not a fleeting infatuation, and if that's as much as they hold it, then they risk losing it. There's a real danger, and there has been a danger in the church in Corinth, that the believers have been sort of almost led astray to a degree. They've been beguiled by a, a different gospel, Maybe I'm more aesthetically pleasing orator than Paul has come into their midst. And they're at risk of coming off the way of the truth in their life. But where Paul has sent him, come back, listen, stay true to my teachings, even the bits that you find difficult, stick with me. (laughs) Don't trade your treasure for trash. Don't give up. Don't give up. As he says further on in a letter, he's writing as a parent, as a father. And for those of us who have reached adulthood, we know As We can look back with hindsight and say, how do I ever get to this age? <laughs> but I did, and I'm here. And, oh, I wish I could imbue my knowledge into my kids' heads. <laughs> this is what's going to happen. I know what you're going through, but you don't really believe me, but I do know. <laughs> Listen to me. I know the challenges. I know the temptations. I know the difficulties. And these young Christians are being met with that, but also their very selfish desire for an easy, less difficult, less demanding way of faith. And I'm sure Paul has experienced it just as much as we have. But Paul is confident of one thing that God is able. God is able. You know, this transformation, the very fact that the Corinthian church exists, is not due to them, it's due to God. This awakening of the gospel, this is a divine thing that's happened in their midst. Paul wasn't just some random that came passing by one day and seemed to share an interesting thing that some people thought, I quite like this. God has initiated this. God is at work amongst them. He started something in them. And that's why Paul is so persistent because he he sees God's hand in this little community with all its troubles and its difficulties. God is there in the midst of it all. God is the one who initiated this church. He's the one who's creating this community. And this, as I say, gives Paul the confidence and the perseverance to continue with them and to stick with them. You know, I don't know what the equivalent was like back then, and how to teach uh, how to teach your kid to ride a bike? <laughs> maybe it was a donkey. Maybe it was a horse. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm saying to you, as Paul said to them, God, is, in a sense, is consistently, always trying to teach you how to ride your bike. <laughs> it was God who's given you this desire to initially to love Him. He's the one who gave you faith in Himself. That is the first act of change and transformation. God did that. It wasn't you. So have hope. It can be difficult and it can be terrifying at times. But as you're sitting there holding onto the handlebars of faith <laughs> and panicking that you're going to fall over, you won't. Because God is working in the background, keeping you balanced, and He's the one who's guiding you forward. We've got our part to do. Of course we have. But if you ever taught your kids or somebody else's kid how to ride a bike, you're like God the Father. You're standing there out of the line of sight. (laughs) But you're the one who's keeping the bike upright. (laughs) You're holding it steady. Keeping it steady. Holding everything in place. Carrying the weight of the bike. So it doesn't fall off into the road or career off into the oncoming traffic. So take heart. You're not doing it by yourself. God is with you. It says, doesn't it, that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. So don't get off your bike. <laughs> you will get there. Keep pedaling, keep looking forward, keep your handles in the handlebars, and keep going where God has asked you to go. You know, maybe you came here this morning feeling a bit jaded. Maybe you feel a bit tired with it. Questioning, Lord, are you really there? Can I advance in this call to a radically different kind of life? You will. You will keep trusting in him. But you need to stay on the bike. Maybe that's a word for somebody here this morning. Maybe, in fact, you've encountered your first big obstacle in the Christian way of life. You know, previously before, I would have dealt with it differently. I would have done it my way, regardless of who gets hurt or whatever happens in the situation. I'm going to do it my way, but now I'm faced with doing it in a Christ-like way, and I don't know if I can do it. Is it calling something different out of me that I don't know if I'm capable of? Don't give up. You can and you will, because Christ is in you. The other thing was, don't give in. You could say, "Well, <laughs> sounds similar." Yes, in a way, it is. But with regards to "don't give in," us and, and from what then Paul goes on to talk about, it seems more of a, a sense not of the internal pressures, but the external pressures pressing in on us and causing us to almost implode. Paul is very honest about the Christian life, as was Jesus himself, what he called people to. I always like to think Jesus, he he would never make a second-hand car salesman. He always told it like it was. (laughs) It's broken down and it's clapped out, but this is the way it is. (laughs) On you go. And that's a real temptation to the church today, isn't it? where we see everything else, where there's this um, desire and a a need to make, sell everything in the most positive light as possible so that somehow everyone will buy into it. You want a perfect, stress-free life? Then do it this way. The Christian life never promises that. In fact, it promises a lot of strife, (laughs) a lot of difficulty, a lot of struggle. But yet in the midst of it, we find peace, we find success, we find victory. And that's the strange thing about the Christian life. It is filled with, and to use a very theological term, paradoxes. What is a paradox? It's when something is both almost opposites, but yet at, at the same time. Like for Jesus' death, in him it was death, but through him we have life. We may be poor in the world's eyes, but yet in Christ we are rich. To experience the glory of the resurrection, Jesus first has to experience the death and the humility of the cross. That's where it is to be a Christian, is to live with intention with these two things at the same time. We have difficulties, we have struggles, but yet we will have successes and victories as well. In a strange way, I mean, we would all like to fast forward towards the day of Jesus' coming back. We all long for that, and Lord, we pray for it. But yet, at the same time, the glories of the Christian life are to be measured against a backdrop of struggle. I'm sure some of you have probably seen the film, the comedy film, Evan Almighty. We were watching it just the other day, and I was reminded of this, but there's a little scene in it. it, it, it it's quite poignant, and I think there's something of a glimmer of truth in it, and it's the scene where the, the wife of the main character is sat in a cafe where kids, and she's bemoaning the fact that their seemingly perfect life seems to be falling apart, <laughs> and unbeknownst to her, she's having a conversation with, um, I can't remember the actor's name, Morgan Freeman, who's playing God, And he says to her, what do you think God gives you when you ask for for courage? She's like, I don't know. He says, maybe he gives you an opportunity to show courage. You know, when we start to think like that, it opens up a whole new landscape for us. And a way of appreciating what's happening in and around us and in our lives and around our lives at times. You see, the sufferings and the struggles, they're not the measure of our Christian life. It's only how we respond to them and how we overcome them that testifies to the grace of God at work in our lives. When you face difficulties, don't give in, but see it rather as a God-given opportunity to showcase Christ in you. Christians, in a sense, aren't meant for mediocrity. In fact, Charles Swindoll shares a story in his book, which the title of the book was Living Above the Level of Mediocrity. He writes this. Several years ago, I met a gentleman who served on one of Walt Disney's original advisory boards. What amazing stories he told. Those early days were tough, but that remarkable creative visionary refused to give up. I especially appreciated the man sharing with me how Disney responded to disagreement. He said that Walt would occasionally present some unbelievable extensive dream he was entertaining. Almost without exception, the members of his board would gulp, blink and stare back at him in disbelief, resisting even a thought of such a thing. But unless every member resisted the idea, Disney usually didn't pursue it. Yes, you read that correctly. The challenge wasn't big enough to merit his time and creative energy unless they were unanimously in disagreement with him. <laughs> I want to encourage you this morning, be exceptional in your Christian life, in your walk with Jesus. And that may be a challenge there in itself this morning. And Paul does on, goes on to say, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path. I have to ask you this morning, is there any area of your life where you're giving in or giving up? And maybe unbeknown to you, you're actually proven to be a, dis- a stumbling block because of that. A stumbling block to others discovering or even knowing Jesus. There could be many things, but usually in the realm of human relations, that's where it most happens. Maybe it's a case of bitterness. Maybe you're holding a a secret resentment towards somebody else. You know, because we all know it's far easier to give in to those petty emotions than it is to showcase Christ. If that's the case, maybe that's a word for you this morning. Have you given in to bitterness, to resentment, or to unforgiveness? Yes, you'll be robbing somebody else of the grace of God, but in a turn, you're robbing yourself. Don't give in. You know, whether we like it or not, we are the ambassadors of this coming kingdom. In a sense, we are the stall of the kingdom of God at the Thainston Sunday Market. (laughs) And we are charged with showcasing the kingdom of God. Are you attracting people? Are you turning people away? And yes, we say that with our words, but sometimes it's just our attitudes can convey much more than we think. It's a tough question, but it's it's a good thing to do just to stop and almost to survey the landscape of your life But not doing it by yourself, but inviting the Holy Spirit to come and say, Lord, look across the landscape of my life. What is the blot on the landscape? That's spoiling it. Can you point it out to me? So we can go and assemble it together. Ask the Lord that question this morning. And he'll give you a very gentle. But a powerful answer to it nonetheless. And he's given the resu- us the resources to weed them out. You know, if you're a follower of Christ... You're far greater than yourself. You have the power of forgiveness in your literally in your hands. You do. And they might be heavy at times, but he's given them to you to use. When he forgave you, he didn't, it wasn't a passing thing, he's actually deposited something in you. You literally hold the same degree of forgiveness in your hands as he has given to you. Use it and don't give in. And that leads me to my last point. Live like Jesus in everything. As Paul says, he's making an appeal to his children. He looks at them as his children. Children in the faith to have an open heart towards him. But as I started the service, Paul is ultimately an agent of Jesus, of Christ. He's a devout, sold out follower of Jesus. He has given his all so that Christ might be known. You know, there's more of Jesus in Paul than there is Paul in himself, (laughs) isn't there? What about you this morning? Is your heart open to Jesus? Is your heart open to God? This is an image that Jesus himself speaks in the book of Revelation, isn't it? What did he say? Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. That's from Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And this is an image of intimacy and communion between ourselves and Jesus. You know, it's easiest for us in the moment to say, oh yes, Lord, that's true. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm opening the door to you. Sometimes he wants to see it in a very practical and tangible way. And it usually involves somebody else. <laughs> Can you imagine going to visit a friend after a several days' journey and struggle to get there, only to be held at the door? It's nice to see you, goodbye. <laughs> it's, not <very laughs> it's not very friendly, is it? I remember the only one time I ever did Christian Aid collection. It was the last. I went to this particular door. It still sticks in my head. As they opened it, I went, hi. Before you even get any further, bam. <laughs> Aww, yeah. That's where I learned to use the, the tools of forgiveness. <laughs> Could have got another knock on his door. <laughs> but can you imagine doing that to Jesus? You might say, oh, I would never do that. It might actually surprise you, but you might have done it on more than one occasion already. And that's what it's been like for Paul for a long period with the church in Corinth. Despite everything he has suffered and sought to achieve on their behalf, in many ways there's still some in in the church who are closing the door on him. But yet, Paul's heart is wide open. Paul has become a channel for light to pass through. And yet, for the ones who are refusing to open that door, they're actually confining themselves to shadow. Is your heart open to all that the Lord wants to do in your life today? And in through you, He wants to affect and change the lives of others as well. You know, we're all familiar with that old adage, I remember the days when you could leave your door unlocked and not to worry. <laughs> it's the kind of thing your granny would say, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sure some of us will, might say it as we get older as well. <laughs> but it, it's that sense that we can all look back, you know, when a time when everybody was much there and we're old, and yeah, life was great back then, wasn't it? But we often use it with a term and a, and a, a glorification of the past. But if we are in Christ, it's it's more of a point towards the future. Don't lock your door when Jesus comes. Open it wide. Open it to him and to his people. You'll be blessed by it, and you will be a blessing to others. Is there somebody that you need to open up your heart to this morning? Is Jesus being met with a partially open door? Or are you prepared to open it wide? You know, I've shared this story before, so I apologize for sharing it again. But it, it, it it's so poignant, and it just illustrates this so lovely. It was when I was at Bible college, of all places, I had a big argument with someone. I was. I mean, when you look back on these things, you realize it was petty and it was silly at the time, but at the time it was, oh, this is awful, this is terrible, and I will stand in judgment over you for the way you've treated me. <laughs> and it was like that, I was carrying that attitude and a, a prayer meeting. This person was sitting opposite me the other side of the room, and I was sitting there, come on, you be reconciled to me, get on with it. I'm not opening the door, you can open the door. <laughs> and, I, and it's so, how often do we do that? We find ourselves, we position ourselves, and go, we actually take, we've got our throne and said, I will take up the throne of judgment here. I know what's right. You need to sort it. nothing to do with me. But you know something, as I sat there, just before the prayer meeting began, and I was convicted by the Holy Spirit. Not only was I uh, put every bolt on this door towards that person, in doing so, what I'd actually done is I had closed the door on the face of Christ. I'd done it to Jesus and as much as I was doing it to them. And that was a horrible realization to be struck, "What, what am I doing? what am I doing? And then that conviction of the Holy Spirit, I quickly unbolted that door in every way possible, even taking it off its hinges. <laughs> and I made a beeline for that person right at the very start. And I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for the way that I've been holding this resentment against you. It's not right. I mean, I could have stood there in a different attitude say, said, well, you know, actually, I think you had a lot to do with it. <laughs> there will come a day when we will stand before him. And all the things that we have held and begrudged, and it will melt before him. They will literally melt when we see in his face the grace and the kindness and the love that has been shown towards us. Can I? Get rid of it. Open your door to Christ. Open the door to those that you have shut out. Do it because as you have done unto them, you have also done unto him as well. We're going to go into a time of ministry. And again, just summarizing what I've said this morning, don't give up, because God is working in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the death is at work in you, The same grace that God operated in the ministry of Jesus is at work in you. The same power of forgiveness that God administered to you is at work in you as well. Use it. Change the world. Change your relationship as much as you are able. You cannot be held responsible for the emotions of another person, but you can do what you can to bring change and transformation let's be open doors to Christ this morning let's be open doors to one another let the love of Christ be known in our midst yeah let's stand